Hey y'all, it's your girl Mix Girl Maine, just reminding you that all Maine Hustle Media shows during the month of August will be on hiatus. That's for Militantly Mixed, Black Radical Queer, Blurred Comics, and the Bi Furious podcast with Mix Girl Maine. All four shows are on summer break until September. This is a Maine Hustle Media podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O, and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all, it's your girl Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And I'm just jumping on real fast to remind y'all we're still on hiatus for the month of August, but I have another rerun for y'all. Uh, this is a rerun from episode 12. Am I even allowed to claim mixed race? My guest, Gretchen Erickson. She is also a former high school classmate of mine, and she was the first person we ever spoke about white passing or white presenting on Militantly Mixed With. And as a result of this episode, a lot of other people started listening to the show. They also started to reach out to me to talk about this issue in their, you know, how it affects them personally. So it's a pretty significant episode for Militantly Mixed, and I'm going to share it with you today. Uh, today, it is still one of the top three most downloaded episodes and continually downloaded episodes since the show or since it aired back in, ooh, I want to say maybe August or September of last year. But either way, it is a very popular episode, so I'm going to share that with you. And we still got a couple more weeks of reruns before we jump back into the regular episodes, I guess. But stay with me. I will be back. I am getting a lot of personal work done during this hiatus, so it's been successful so far. But I will talk to you all about that in a couple weeks. Bye! And today I'm joined by, well, it's kind of weird. I'm joined by someone that I went to high school with, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I knew knew her face, but that was pretty much it. Um, I am joined by Gretchen Erickson. We we were great apart. You graduated in 97. Uh And and we are still kind of connected through our high school sort of alumni group on Facebook or whatever. So yeah, Gretchen, why don't you tell, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your ethnic background and let's get into it because this is going to be a really interesting conversation today. Sure. Um, you know, it's funny when you, you first asked me what my mixed race story was, my first response in my head was, I'm not mixed. I'm a white girl. And then I thought, well, I'm a quarter Hispanic, but I'm but I'm not mixed. Mm. And then I looked over at my niece who is here visiting. Uh, she's 11 years old and visiting my daughter. And my niece is a quarter black. And I thought, well, she's mixed. Why 
don't I consider myself mixed? Yeah. And so I really had to do some soul searching before I could even answer your simple question. What's my story? And I, uh, my mom was uh, born in Peru, uh, raised primarily in the United States. Um, she uh, immigrated when she was six and had to go through school being, um, you know, English as a second language student. And um, with the point where she had a lot of struggles, her and her siblings had struggles integrating into uh, you know, English speaking society. Mm. Um, and so a lot of that, I don't know um, the exact history, but she didn't teach any of us Spanish. So our our experience of being Peruvian is is limited in a lot of ways. And even though I experienced it a lot more as a child, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I grow up and other things, you know, happen and we don't really think about, you know, what we are when we're off living life. So right. especially since I am so white and and on top of that, I'm not just your average white girl. I'm super pale. <laughs> and, and I have really vibrant red hair. So I remember when I was in, in college, someone once told me, "You have red hair. There's no way you're Hispanic." And um, it's so weird. There are to- there are completely red Latinx people out there, red haired Latinx people out there. Well, I mean, I'm sure as a 19, 20 year old guy, he probably didn't have a whole lot of life experience either, so probably didn't know. Um, you know, everybody has their own little world that we all kind of live in and you shape your beliefs on that. So, mm-hmm. um, well, so that, that's kind of my, my, my background. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I would say that, um, yeah, when I saw, when I clicked on your picture after you and I started talk, uh, ch- chatting back and forth, I, I did remember your face as soon as I saw you, but I, I couldn't place if we, if we had known each other or if we had interacted much, but I did think, um, I, I know you were, you were saying you kind of struggled with the idea of whether or not you, you got to be able to claim mixedness but i i saw a face that looked like there was something else behind like there was another story behind your face and (laughs) there's a weird way of saying it. i don't know um but it clicked it really clicked into into view when you sent me the photos of your your mother's family Mm -hmm. you look i think you favor your mom a little but you favor your grandmother quite a bit i don't know if you even have noticed that but you actually have really similar features to your peruvian grandmother oh bless your heart she is gorgeous (laughs) she is yeah yeah, there was a beautiful photo that, that it was just a passport photo that you sent me. Yeah, yeah, I wish yeah, I had she that was beautiful. Like that. She looked like one of those um, like 1930s sirens, like the movie, the movie oh. actresses. That was a really, really beautiful photo, which we'll share on our on our um, our Instagram pic. Thank you for saying that because I don't I don't see it. I guess, um, but you know, just a face can I grow up with? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to see yourself objectively, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I see my dad's face like I'm a I'm a girl version of my dad like I do have almond eyes like my mom and I definitely have a skin tone that's closer to my mom but if you compare my face to my father's face I'm I I just need a darker skin and curly hair and I would be him pretty Uh much um but but yeah like I think you you tend to be and I think you tend to to be a little bit more critical of yourself and if you're already coming from a place where you feel that because culturally you didn't get exposed quite as much to your Peruvian side maybe you're just like yeah I am just a white girl or something when you see yeah. stuff. I don't know. So, um, I don't know uh, if you asked me a little bit more. I can I can share with kind of like my my childhood. You know what yeah, what exposure I had. Um, so early childhood, um, my family was you know, we were closer to my mom's side. You know as far as you know activities and get-togethers. My mom came from a big family. She was second of six children, um, mm. and they all lived close by. So we always had you know family get-togethers. There was always lots of people, lots of food, um, and lots of Spanish. So. 
um, we, you know, everybody was kind of involved with each other's lives. Everybody was big and loud. I remember one time when I was, I want to say between third and fourth grade, um, we had a foreign exchange student from Japan. And on the, I want to say like on the way home from picking her up from the airport, um, we stopped by my grandmother's uh, apartment and there was like, oh, there was like a family get together. So this poor Japanese girl didn't even know us. And she gets <laughs> thrown into this Hispanic party and everybody's giving her <laughs> hugs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what you do. You know, as a stranger, you're somebody you meet and, and you give hugs. Well, that's what you guys do. That's not what we do. <laughs> we are not a huggy people. <laughs> no. Japanese. no. And then I was uh, talking to my aunt uh, earlier and then she said that one of the one of the things that really uh, was culture shock to my my grandmother when she moved to the United States was was that everybody felt so cold um, because in Latin culture, right. just everybody's there and loud and huggy and touchy and and that was normal. Um, and in here in the United States, you you don't just hug people; you just meet or give them kisses on the cheek. Yeah, I, uh, so I'm not a very huggy person because I have both my mom's side of the family is Japanese and my dad's side of the family is British and and so like these aren't really super cultures <laughs> um even like my British nana I remember growing up she would you, she would like kind of sit in a prominent chair in the house and you'd have to kind of go to her to to hug her or something she it wasn't like we just kind of could just curl up on her or anything um so yeah like I I, I get the the sort of coldness or separation it, it usually takes me a while to get comfortable hugging people but I find that if I know the person comes from a culture that's like like that it's a lot easier for me to deal with but if it's a regular garden variety american and they come up and they say well i'm a hugger then i'm like you do not have consent to touch my body <laughs> because i get really weird like i it takes me a long time to get physically affectionate with people um that but funny. i have a lot of friends that are that are arabic or um or persian and um and, and some latinx friends and stuff so like because i know their cultures are that way i can kind of prepare my brain before seeing them so that i can be <laughs> touchy it's weird i don't know <laughs> they're gonna hug me let me take a deep breath okay yeah, that's what it is <laughs> no we you know, grew up where you know aunts and i remember we had a conversation when i was little my mom sat us down and said, okay you guys you can say no if you know your aunt wants to give you a kiss because that was just the, everybody gave me kisses and, and i guess my mom mm. she got she um i remember somebody gave me a kiss i would kind of wipe my cheek afterward and <laughs> and she's just if you don't want to kiss just say you don't want to kiss i'm like i don't mind the kiss it just gets wet you know but i <laughs> so we had we had a whole little lesson okay you guys if you don't want to kiss just say no it's okay which is nice you know give me a little consent talk but right. before that was really I mean, a thing yeah um <laughs> but yeah that was just normal hugs and kisses all around you see people um but we now so like i grew up hearing spanish all the time especially at family parties and such my my grandmother gave us all spanish nicknames i was grechencita <laughs> and there was michelita and miguelito and mm -hmm. we just that's just how she you know spanish spanishified our, all of our names and um you know so it, it was it was nice hearing that and and um eating the wonderful hispanic food a peruvian food is um really spicy and and rich um and i know i'm i'm biased but it's it's the best food yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i grew up you know going to grandma's house eating this super spicy food and and you know it's so spicy and i was a little kid but everybody's having a great time and loving it so i'm gonna have a great time and love it too but it's so spicy so a lot of the names uh, names of food i didn't even know until i was an adult like one of the, the dishes i remember my grandmother making was arroz con pollo but it just means which means rice and and chicken but um it was made with cilantro 
nacho and so it was a green and I didn't know what it was we just called it the green chicken <laughs> that's cute <laughs> but, so, so we still you know in our house we're having green chicken and anyway it's funny that's cute so did you pick up some of the recipes like do you incorporate it in your food with your family now so yeah now I do and um, I don't know in a way it's kind of how I'm able to kind of reclaim that that heritage a little bit mm-hmm. um, because uh, I'm, I when my grandmother passed away I was in fifth grade and a lot of the the Spanish speaking stopped primarily my grandmother was the one that um, it took her the longest to learn English and said so she had a really thick accent and this is easier for her to mm-hmm. and I think in a way um, we always thought it was funny as kids whenever they would speak in Spanish oh they're they're probably hiding something from us and I don't know if, mm-hmm. if that <laughs> if they did it on purpose or just easier to her for her to default to Spanish but um, you know so they they was spoken in Spanish when she was there and then when she passed away um her children who mostly grew up in the united states um you know just would speak english um so i i know i missed a lot of that and um you know my my mother you know she definitely had an accent you just couldn't tell what kind of accent because she was so young when she came over but she didn't speak english very well um I mean, she's had bad syntax and, and whatever. And um, people often asked her if she was from New York City, which I thought was really funny. Oh, funny. Um, but since she didn't speak, you know, didn't learn Spanish in school or anything, she also spoke Spanish poorly. So just never really had a master of either oh, language. That's interesting because she was so young when she got here. About what year was that? Do you know? Um, 59, I would say, because if she was six, maybe 50. 58. Your she was six years old. Was leaving Peru around the time that there was a huge influx of Japanese that were immigrating to Peru. So I was oh. curious if maybe you had some Japanese mixed in your, like, I know we talked about your, um, your ethnic heritage and what you discovered through DNA and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I, uh, so I know that there's a ton of Japanese that live in Peru and sometimes their presidents are, you know, like a mixed yeah. Uh, yeah. heritage or something like that. And so like Peru has always been one of those countries that is of interest to me as a mixed race person because I know that they've managed to incorporate mixedness into their culture mm-hmm. a little bit better than maybe some other countries has, has done. It's, it's very diverse. Yeah. And, and it's funny because when I was growing up, the only proving, Peruvian experience I really I knew was my own personal immediate family. It, it sure. wasn't anything else. My my grandmother didn't um, didn't teach her children much about the Peruvian society, Peruvian culture beyond her family. And and when when my mom and my aunts when we were growing up, all they heard was, oh, Peruvian. Peru was was wonderful. It was a paradise. And the reason for that, I mean, she didn't she didn't at all talk about the poverty, but my mm-hmm. grandmother's family was was well to do enough that, you know, she was growing up. They had servants. They had people to cook and clean. And oh. when she moved to the United States, she had to be a servant. She didn't have any other, you know, skills. So it, it was uh, it was hard on her moving to the United States. And she yeah, she thought she had kind of got the the jackpot. My my grandfather, her husband, um, he was born in Peru, was a Peruvian citizen, but his ancestry was mostly European, and mm. um, and he was raised a lot of his childhood in the United States. So he was fluent in English and Spanish, um, and according to my aunt, he never had a, an accent in either language. Um, mm. So she thought it was great marrying, you know, a, you know, for all intents and purposes, purposes, an American. And but then when she got to the United States, it, it didn't quite live up to what she expected. Mm. So, so, OK, so that's how you become a quarter because your grandfather is Peruvian, but you're 
European mostly heritage wise. Yeah, so you know DNA you did the DNA test and, and proved that um, I'm a quarter Peruvian, which is like half of that is Native American and half of that is Spanish. So the combination sure. is the quarter. And then I'm assuming in the rest of my heritage I had like I wanna say six percent Turkish and that might have been him too. I have to ask my my aunt, if she had Turkish blood in her, I know she had hers, mm. hers done, which would make sense because my grandfather, he did have a look that wasn't just, you know, Northern European type. Right. He, so if he was a quarter Turkish or, or something, it, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. Um, but everything else, you know, mostly just European. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, my um, my parents, uh, my mom, she, like I said, had a hard time learning the language growing up. She was considered the smart one of the family because she would get C's in school. And everybody else would fail because they just didn't know the language. It took a long time. And the, the teachers at school told the kids to stop stop speaking Spanish at home. So there was a... Yeah. And I, and I guess that was normal in the 60s that mm-hmm. they're just kind of... There was not as much care to allow children, to allow families to keep their cultures. Well, I feel and like it was a combination of either, you know, racism wanting to drown out the cultures and all that those kind of stuff, you know, steal the language, steal the culture of other people, or it's just flat out they really were ignorant and believed that it was hard for people's brains to grasp multiple languages um that because that's what they told my grandmother when she came to the states um she was a a military bride and so they had classes for all of the immigrant wives to to americanize them and part Mm -hmm. of what they did so they were taught to cook a certain way they were taught to speak a certain way they they were they were taught to be uh, you know be more american yeah be more american but in this kind of way yeah but like be in this kind of way where you were like subservient to your your military spouse and oh. and then part of that was also this fear that they drove into them to say like don't teach your kids Japanese it's bad enough they're half breeds you don't want to confuse their brain and so that fear whatever that was however intense they expressed that to my grandmother she continued that fear throughout even as I grow up and I come of age where I'm like speak Japanese to me speak Japanese to me even then it was it was a real struggle to get her to actually engage with Japanese like you know there were some words we knew growing up and there's some words I know in Japanese Japanese before I knew in English and so in those cases I still translate that in my brain to speak English even though English is my natural language um, but she it was a real fear and it wasn't until I was in my 30s which I think I've said before on the uh, another episode that where I I made se- enough of an effort that I could kind of t- have a whole conversation like with a few sentences and she was impressed by that point that she spoke back to me but other than that it was like she would teach me a word but not a sentence or or, or something like that because she didn't want anybody to know and it was always is don't say this in front of other people. Don't don't let mm. other people know. So I think there was something in the culture at the time that was, you know, I think it had to do with racism, certainly, but maybe also an ignorance into thinking that somehow our brains weren't going to be able to handle multiple languages as children. I think a lot of it, too, was uh, seeing it was hard on on the kids and wanting to shield them as much as possible from from that. And so mm-hmm. encouraging them to, to assimilate, I guess. Um, and my mom like I said, since she didn't speak the greatest of Spanish, um, she didn't have much incentive to, to teach us. Um, sure. And and because she married a white man, my dad didn't know Spanish either. Um, he said he tried learning, but my, my mom didn't want to really help him. Mm. I don't know. It wasn't important to her. Um, and my grandmother, my grandmother liked my dad because he was white. He had blonde hair, blue eyes. Um <laughs> 
but it's so similar. Then, like it just you say things like that, and it's like I can see it in my own family. It's like the blonde hair, blue eyed was this like quintessential American that everybody wanted. All the immigrant side wanted. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but you know, I see she would brag to her sister um, and look at my grandchildren. Look how white they are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And my mom's cousins and, and their kids, you know, depending on who they married, were very dark looking. And I remember, I, I don't know why I didn't think about it a lot, but I remember they, they look a lot darker. But, you know, a kid, you don't, you don't attribute yeah. that. Oh, they, well, they, you know, my mom's cousin married a, a Hispanic man. I don't know what his heritage was, but he was you know, a dark Hispanic man. And um, so their kids are dark. And so these are my second cousins, but they look, they look Hispanic. They are Hispanic. They are Peruvian. Uh, my, my sister even says, oh, yeah, when she was growing up, she was, my sister was the oldest. And so they would have, you know, get togethers for the older kids and extended cousins and whatnot. And she could say she called it going to the Peruvian parties where she was like the white girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it wasn't like these are all my my close family members because we didn't know them too well. And we just they lived in the Bay Area. We lived in Sacramento. Um, but, you know, we didn't feel like we fit in. They, they knew Spanish. They looked Hispanic. We looked white. <laughs> we didn't know. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I do want to kind of, uh, you brought up the thing about your, your grandmother uh, praising the whiter children. So I do kind of want to talk to you a little bit about colorism because that is a huge, it's a huge thing with all people of color, but in particular uh, Latinx world tends to, to do colorism in a very kind of special <laughs> way. Uh, so I kind of want to kind of get into it too, but um, I I also wanted to ask you, uh, for you personally, not kind of in the grand scheme of the world, but for you personally, is there a, a reason why you say Hispanic versus Latin or Latinx? Um, that's just how my mom always phrased it, mm. I guess. And I was never said, and I was never taught in Latina, and, and and it means the same thing, I guess, in my brain. Um, but I was that's how my mom phrased it. Mm. We are we are Hispanic. Mm. Um, I I'm only asked because I know that like only recently has it started to become a thing where people will stop some people you know and say hey this is what we say or this is what we say and I I always want to know the difference uh, for people to, to mm-hmm. kind of understand it and, and and conceptualize of it for myself and and I guess what's I uh, kind of the the arc of this whole story is that my understanding of all the Latin culture is is a very small experience right. it's just my family's experience so um, what how other Latin people how they have how they self-identify. Um, I'm not in, in You're not involved in, in those cult- yeah. you know, those worlds. I'm not. I haven't connected with with that. So. Right, and that and that probably plays too into that conversation that we were having about you feeling whether or not you had rights to claim your mixed heritage or be sort of basically out of the closet about being mixed. Well, um, and, and it's it's funny because I, I, when I was growing up um, and my mom would always say things like, you know, make sure you write down on those little forms, you know, when they, they pass out, what's your heritage on forms at school or whatever, doing, mm-hmm. pl- applying for a job, what's your uh, background? And she'd always say, you write down that you're Hispanic. So I, I would and I did. Um, but as I got older and um, got, got to see kind of more why those those questions are asked and making sure people are are having diversity um i don't know i guess i felt disingenuous i don't i don't present as somebody who's hispanic um i don't want people to get credit for being diverse (laughs) i get what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) for i know hiring somebody who's hispanic because and they wouldn't know that um sure i wouldn't be discriminated against by 
by being Hispanic. Right. You know, they're not doing any great service to anybody by, you know, look how great we are by hiring a Hispanic girl. Because mm. so they know, I mean, I just, I'm white. Yeah. So that, that is, that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to talk to you. And I, I hope I didn't pressure you into it when you were feeling like you didn't have a mixed story to tell. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting aspect of mixed raceness if you can quote unquote pass as one of your ethnic backgrounds more than the other or more than mm-hmm. the others. Um, so I've talked about this kind of briefly on other episodes, not having someone to really have that, ex- who had had that experience yet about the concept of white passing. And it's a mixed bag. I mean, white passing is sort of the term that we use, at, at least in the black community, we've always used it to distinguish the, um, you know, descendants of African slaves that were mixed with plantation slave masters, you know, blood and, and could kind of maneuver the world without people identifying them as black. And therefore, they had kind of a either a privilege or they were able to hide and get and and get out of bad situations. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays, I don't know if that word is con- or if that phrase is considered as uh, comfortable, you know, for people. Um, I actually did have somebody tweet me or send me a private message on Twitter saying that she hated the term and and, and it, it seemed to be kind of a thing that um, where she was trying to tell me that she never benefited from white passing and and all this other kind of stuff. But the more that I read her explanation to me, the more that it seemed clear that she didn't actually kind of fit in the white passing category. Whereas like with you, I think you used white presenting. Is that, is that what you were saying to me? Um, either one. I mean, I yeah. don't, I don't know. Um, so, so like in you, yeah. If, if, if at a glance you look at you, you do see a, a pale skinned redheaded woman and you probably don't go any further. Someone like me who is always trying to figure out, you know, what other, like is kind of sniff out mixedness everywhere that I can. Um, I probably would have missed you too until I stopped to pay attention and and like when I looked at your picture I was trying to find you know I was trying to find it and I was like oh yeah you know she doesn't look like just a you know Irish descent or something like that like you you there was something different to your facial features um, that didn't code quite white to me but not enough for me to be able to say yeah I can tell that she's a mix of Hispanic or a mix of this or a mix of that Um, but I try to be really I don't want to say sensitive to because that's probably not the right usage Uh, I try to be cognizant yeah, like I, I want to see because because I have this thing about visibility and that every now and then, even though I feel pretty grounded as a mixed race person, I I occasionally do get a boost out of being visible in some way where someone will say, you're mixed, right? Or you're black, white. I've never had a person come up to me and say, are you Japanese? You know, I've never had that happen. Most of the time, if they do sense that I'm Asian, they they decide that I'm Filipino. Um, so I don't, I don't really get like Japanese visibility, even if I'm, you know, walking around in a Rising Sun t-shirt or something like that at a Japanese festival they'll just think that I'm a otaku which is like a, a white person or a non-Japanese that is interested in Japanese culture and so then I have to fight and be like I'm not one of those like you know um, well, and I honestly think I mean, that's how it, my my background is I mean I, I'm a white person but I'm all Hispanic and I right. feel like I've had to defend that side of me my whole life oh yeah. I'm I'm Hispanic too my mom my mom came from Peru I'm <laughs> don't leave me out yeah um, it's like you want to wave the flag without having to wave the flag <laughs> you know Um. Well... Even, I mean, I understand I wouldn't fault somebody for not knowing. I definitely don't look it. And pe- especially if people don't know, know that, like you said, Peru is very diverse. Um, they won't know that. But I would really appreciate it if people just believe me you know, right. when I told them. And they didn't have to look at me skeptically and or and things like that. And I, I just kind of felt like I, I had to defend it. Right. Especially when I was younger. Well, that's the thing. It's that 
that that's part of the reason why I wanted to do a podcast like this too and talk to people about this issue because that idea that we have to defend that what we're mixed with or, or say that we even have sort of permission to to be at the table in the in those different groups is so like as a mixed race person I would say like look my dad is half black half Caucasian British my mom is half Japanese half kind of German Irish mix of white or whatever um I I was raised immersed in black culture I was raised immersed in Japanese culture in my house not pub you know like I wasn't kind of a publicly Japanese I guess <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but and a little bit on the British side too because we did have my nana when I was growing up I don't really have a connection to the what we thought was German Irish which we actually realized recently through DNA that that's not the case um but I wasn't immersed in those cultures so I would try to participate like I'd go to Irish festivals or I'd go to German festivals or I'd, I'd you know try to learn the culture stuff like that and and it wasn't like I ever got to feel German or Irish or, or anything like that I could feel Japanese a little bit I could feel black a lot I could kind of feel British here and there um, but I didn't feel like I like I don't think it's fair that I would have to say that just because I was a quarter I didn't get to be a representative of the culture I didn't get to participate in the culture it, it's it's a, such a point of frustration like my whole life I've hated this idea and then I'll have a conversation with say a monoracial person from one of these groups and they'll try to explain to me why I don't have that full right and it usually boils down to well you can't walk down the street and be like let's say I'm, I'm engaged in a conversation with a, a dark skinned black person who who has been a subject of, of harassment or something by the police I it is true I benefit from a sort of a light skin privilege which I don't appreciate um, where like a cop may disregard me over a dark skinned person um, which did happen to me when I was in high school in Long Beach uh, we were hanging out at a park we got picked up my black friends got dropped off and by the cops in a, in a Mexican neighborhood so that they'd get beat up which they did I got dropped off at home and then when my dad my black dad opens the door all of a sudden I see the cops look on his face like he made a mistake he should have put my little mixed black ass in the Mexican neighborhood too um, so like I understand that I do have a benefit in terms of my light skin privilege or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I'm angry by it. I, I'm mad that I don't get... Oh, gosh. I always hate how I say this. Like, I, I'm mad that I'm not visibly a reflection of my ethnicity and so mm-hmm. that I'm kind of disregarded as that. Not to say that I'm signing up to get dropped off in a Mexican neighborhood to get beat up, you know, or something like that, which was... I, I can't say that, that would be the case now, but it was the case in 1990s Long Beach where the cops were doing that. They were dropping Mexican kids off in my neighborhood. They were dropping black kids off in those neighborhoods and those kids were getting beat up on their way to try to get home, you know, and we didn't have cell phones back then where we could get, or lift where we could get picked up and and stuff. So, so like in your case, I think, you know, yeah, a a company isn't going to necessarily get to check a mark off on their diversity things in terms of skin tone diversity where you're concerned. But even though it was small, you still have exposure to your culture and and though you weren't as as immersed as you, you may have created or crave now maybe as an adult uh, mixed Peruvian woman you it's part of your story you know it's it's not just that it's part of your DNA you saw your grandmother you got to see you got to benefit from the from the cooking and and the and sort of the cultural things that really ground us in our ethnicities sometimes like it's not just that we're mixed race it's it's that we're our it's a mixed, mixed culture. culture too 
too. Yeah. And the food, I mean, how many times you can, uh, does food connect who you are to something? I mean, um, you know, I was I was talking to all my cousins before before this uh, this call today, just kind of getting their their perspective and if they can consider themselves Peruvian and um, and we all kind of agreed it, it's the food, <laughs> the food it's and the, the food. loud Latin family <laughs> and get togethers and those two things. Um, and my I have one cousin. Um, well, actually, uh, there was a, a group of my family went down to Peru a couple of years ago. Um, a, a couple of my aunts and a bunch of the cousins all went. And one of my cousins, um, who is probably the darkest of all of us, the family that they saw down there, they told him, you look Peruvian. And he probably didn't realize until they said that how much he wanted to hear it. But after yeah. they said it, it just felt so good. He said, yeah. um, I don't put words in his mouth. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it felt good because the way he described it right. to me. And I think it probably just made him feel, um, hey, I really am Peruvian. Yeah. It's not just something you, you, you check on the box. And you know, having gone there, especially. And, and, and like I said earlier, I have a small slice of experience of what it means to be Peruvian. Um, but it, there's a lot more to it. I, when I was in high school, there was a, I want to say an important exchange student or somebody who was from Peru. And when I first heard that, I went to, to see her, oh, this new person at school. And she was very dark. And I didn't realize because the only Peruvians I knew were, were white, uh, like really? my grandmother. Yeah. And she was very dark. And um, there was this a whole different side of Peru that I don't, I don't know about. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to I didn't experience it all. So, I mean, it, it's it's neat now as an adult, I'm able to kind of reconnect with, with my culture through food, but also you know, I give my, my children a little bit more experience and you know, I tell them that we're Peruvian. My daughter had to do something about, you know, her background at school a couple of years ago oh, nice. and she wanted to look up our German ancestry and said, you're more Peruvian than you are a German. Mm. Um, and so we looked up some of the traditional um, clothing that women wore, wear mm. there and and we put out some things and we learned, um, you know, a little bit more about the culture. We bought a, a book, a children's book uh, about a cat that gets lost in Peru and they and visits these landmarks there. And, and it was really neat um, learning about it kind of with her. And it's something that we connect to because, you know, you're great. You tell your grandmother's from Peru and she gets a kick out of that. And it gets really neat. Yeah. And so we able to kind of go through, look at pictures and see, yes, <laughs> we don't look Hispanic, but your grandma did. <laughs> your great grandma yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I got this story you just told about your cousin. Like that is, uh, I'm telling you, that is the thing that I hear so often. It's just that weird validation that you need sometimes. And sometimes you don't even know that you need it. (laughs) You just like someone walks up to you randomly. Like for me, it's usually on the black side where um, I walk into a building and and a black person that's working in the building will say something like, hey, little sis. And it's just, it's nothing. They're not saying you look black. It's, they're not saying anything like that. That, but it is it's just a code within our culture that we would refer to pe- people as brother or sister or auntie uncle it's the, you know, the acknowledgement I it's see the acknowledge you. yeah and so it's just that little brief moment that they said they don't know how much of me is black but they knew enough in that moment from seeing me that I was and so I just get this little boost for the day you know of like I got seen today and it's something that like a monoracial person I mean it's not like there aren't things that someone a monoracial person would have that a similar experience like oh I see you as an artist or I see you as this or whatever but when you we we all have to deal with this identity crisis thing that when we're growing up but if you tack on on top of your identity crisis also you don't look like anything that you're mixed with (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and that's and you're just like, well, who? What am I? What group do I go to? Who do I join when I feel like I need to be around people that are like me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, white people have a un a unique experience in that they don't have to use their their race necessarily as a way to bond. They can bond through geekery, you know, <laughs> or or um, or uh, you know, some kind of thing that they're really interested in, hunting guns, you know, whatever. Like, there's all well, these different things, and we can yeah, do it and too. There, there are cultures within, you know, even American culture. Mm-hmm. There are cultures that, like you said, the geek culture. There's there's other ways that people connect, and um, you know, being an, an ethnic minority, that's an easy way to connect with somebody mm-hmm. because there aren't that many. And hey, I'm involved in that that group, and people get involved with other groups, whether it's it, you know, it's it's media type cultures, people that love sci-fi, or you know, mm-hmm. it's religion cultures um, where other things tie people together. And then I think just people have these different worlds that we, we gravitate towards. And, yeah. um, you know, an, an ethnic one is easy. And I can imagine like my brother went to Switzerland for like, well, 10, 11 months. Uh, this was a long time ago. And he said he didn't realize how much he missed hearing the American accent until he was around somebody that was also <laughs> American. <laughs> and it just it felt so good to his ears. Yeah. You know? and, and, and the person probably wouldn't have been friend. They would probably wouldn't have been, you know, connected, been friends right. in America, but they just had a connection because they were so far away yeah. from where they are. And it's just something you, you just want to gravitate to somebody who's like you, whatever that, you know, that is. Right. And and maybe in America, there's so many different, um, you know, the, the mix of different cultures of, of European mm-hmm. um, that we kind of made a generic American culture and you don't really identify as just German or just Finnish right. or just French. And it's just a combination and of everything. Uh, probably a lot of, I, I think in my experience, a lot of white people that I I know basically don't know their their um ancestral yeah. whiteness yeah. and so so yeah like for me as a mixed black kid growing up one of my favorite things you know we go back to the food thing was the cookouts mm-hmm. you know watching the uncles compete over who could burn meat better you know like <laughs> the the playing dominoes and and you know hearing the slam of the of the domino to the table and someone yelling bone like there's just these things these sounds of my childhood that I don't have as much access to now and my in my sort of small world where I'm pretty much in my apartment all day long. Um, you know, the, the, those things that kind of connect you to your family and to your culture. But but when you're a mixed race person, it really connects you to your ethnic ethnic background, too. And um, when we when we sit here, like the problem with trying to connect with people through something like geekery or, um, you know, some sort of other interest hunting, whatever, is that we are always also singled out again, in even within that oh, subculture yeah. as ethnicity. So no matter matter what you know we have ethnic you you tend to gravitate towards your ethnic groups with people that you look like because there's a comfort in it but if you tack on like you know i'm a i'm a black geek i like comic books i have grown up reading comic books since i was little a combination of issues are in my way there i'm i'm a person of color in in comic book degree i'm also a woman which is unusual or at least they claim it's unusual i know a ton of girls that are like me um or you know that were like me growing up even too but we don't get credit for it and so we're always this sort of unique or fetishized thing when we go into these other subcultures and so you end up kind of bouncing back to the ethnic thing again and then well, and again. it's that one thing that you can't really and you you know you don't have to uh share with everybody that you like star trek or you like hunting but it's something something you can see on the on the outside but yeah you can see from the outside oh you don't have blonde hair blue eyes you have something else and- right yeah so i mean these are the types of things and 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 so like i i you know my uh, 
I was a little, I mean, it touched my heart, I guess, is the thing. Um, when I saw your initial messages where you were just like, you know, first you, you had sent me a message only to suggest a story, um, which was, I think, probably somewhat along the lines of your story, right? It was a, a white passing woman and this woman's discovery of her of her mother keeping this secret and sort of now readjusting her identity through the mother thing. And I had seen that article before, too. And I, I, you know, I've heard those stories from people, um, especially on my side of the family, my black side of the family, where white passing is a thing for some of my relatives. Um, and then when I was asking you about your story and you were feeling like at first you you didn't really have one, um, that, I mean, that's a kind of, re- like, it, it's just, I don't know, it just kind of touched me where I was like, you know, you need to be able to have your chance to feel comfortable uh, in your in your mixed background because you have a story that's just as important as others. Um, and I feel like yours has a different level of complication because you do have to, it's not like you're a black mixed person where you can just kind of be black. You're a white mixed person that can just ignore it if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, no, it's true. Like I, I have some cousins and you know other people that you know ask them, do you identify at all as Peruvian? Nope. <laughs> no, they yeah. just not at all. Um, it's something that we did as children, but mm. it, it's gone now. And 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 you know my my mother passed away when I was uh, in high school, and and with that, I I definitely lost sure. um, a lot of the food. You know, she would cook Peruvian food at home, and you no, know, once the food was gone, um, we. we on occasion, and, and as our family kind of got older, and our, my generation was moving on with life and moving away, we didn't didn't get have family get together so much. And I was away in college, so kind of lost a lot of yeah. even even the family get-togethers and food that I had. And now that we're all you know adults and having our own kids, you know, recognize that we, we really enjoyed all that food. And right. so I've I've learned to make it. I've been able to connect with my aunt and get recipes and oh, that's awesome. and remember, oh, my mom made it differently than than her sister did, and. Mm. You just kind of compare and, and contrast that. So, have you um, tried to experiment to kind of get closer to your mom's version compared to your aunt's? Yeah, so I'll make. There's one uh, dish that my mom made. Um, it has pork and, and cabbage. It's kind of a stew, mm-hmm. and my mom would put broth in it and um, crushed tomatoes. And my aunt doesn't put the broth or crushed tomatoes. Um, neither way is right. They're both good. And my aunt said, "Well, I'm I make it the way my mom made it." So I mean, I guess my aunt's way is more authentic. I don't know, but I like the way my mom made it too. So, <laughs> and it's funny because I, I can't make them uh, exact same way because my my kids don't like a lot of spice, so I have to make it a lot milder. We have to add the spicy mm-hmm. food after the fact. Um, like the green chicken. I, I remember when I was little eating that green chicken, it was this greasy, super spicy food and, and I make it so it's not greasy. Mm. <laughs> and I don't put the spice in for my kids' sake. That's um, but it still tastes good. Still was tastes it that cilantro. you didn't get the spice in with your kids when they were young enough or they just kind of naturally didn't gravitate towards spice ever? Uh, probably, probably didn't get it in young enough. I'm sure if I inoculate them, I don't know. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> One of those things where your kid cries because you give him something that's hot, then you don't want to do that again. Right. So <laughs> kind of learn, okay, the kid can't handle that. Right. Uh, my, my husband loves super, super, super spicy food. It's like his challenge in life to get other people to eat really spicy food. I'm like that too. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, and so I, I don't even get as spicy as my husband does. Mm. But I think for men, it might be a little bit like a competitive thing. You know, how, how hot can you handle it? See, I'm not a super competitive person, but I do notice with spice, I feel like I get a boost if I can handle heat that other people can't handle. <laughs> 
Um, the only person that I totally bow down to is a friend of mine from Texas. This woman can eat spice like nobody's business. There's no hiccups. There's no sweating. There's no scratchy voice. Like she just, she just, yum, 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 yum. And I mean, I'll at least get the scratchy voice. I've never gotten hiccups from spice, but <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know if you remember my husband, but he, uh, from high school, but he cannot handle even like jalapenos, which aren't even on the, the heat registry. He, and he'll be sweating like a, a pig when he eats. It's so funny. Um, that is funny. So I do get a little bit of a boost. Like if I can hang meat wise or if I'm watching a person suffer and I like, well, let me try it, you know, and then I don't suffer. I'm just like, yes, it's like the only place that I think I have any kind of competitive sense because <laughs> sports, forget it. I'm not physically inclined in any way, shape or form. Um, maybe a little bit on shit talking, but that's, <laughs> I got nothing to back up anything I ever say <laughs> except for the spicy. That's a talent. That's a talent. No, I was I was in college once and I was I made um, that that Peruvian stew and um, there was a guy who had just come back from visiting Peru. He wasn't Peruvian, but he'd been there for a while and 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 I'm like, well, I'll make this because I know you've been there. You you tasted Peruvian food. You let me know if it really is Peruvian because you know. And my mom had been gone for a few years then, and, and I don't know. I mean, just when she made food, I didn't realize it was Peruvian. Just that's what my mom would make, and so I made it. And his nose starts running a little bit. He's like, oh, this is perfect. And it felt so good to hear. Oh, it really is Peruvian. And I made it right. And I don't know. I just... That was your visibility that you needed. Yeah, <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> they have one Peruvian restaurant here in the Portland area. And it's so expensive. And I've only gone a few times. But when I do go, I, I just order what I know I like. Mm. And I'm, there's so much more. I probably just get adventurous. And... Yeah, you should. I love that you ended up talking about food accidentally because I don't know that we talked about food so far in any of the episodes and there's really nothing that kind of grounds us in our culture more than more than food I think I mean just look at how like sort of happy our voices got once we started talking <laughs> about like green chicken and and, and, and stuff like that um, for me like it's kind of heartbreaking for me because I did transition into a vegetarian like I'm a I'm an anti-vegetarian vegetarian I don't want to give up meat I feel like I have to and, and stuff because I animals um, and the environment. Oh, but like yeah. I'm angry the whole time that I'm not eating meat. I'm angry. Um, so uh, I what I feel like I will miss now is that cookout thing. Yeah. Like yeah. I won't get the joy of like my uh, one uncle trying to just like open a like a 50 pound can of baked beans and just plopping it on the grill while other people say that's <laughs> stupid and you're supposed to have slow cooked it for days before you know like this kind of stuff this food stuff that kind of kind of connects me to the culture and um and with Japanese it was my favorite thing was New Year's Japanese New Year's where we would have this like walk on the center of the table and we'd be throwing food in for um ingredients in for uh, skiaki which one um non-Japanese waitress in a restaurant corrected me once and told me it was called suki yaki it's not um but we, we would like uh, it, was, it was our new year's thing where we would throw the noodles and the vegetables and tofu and the meat and stuff like that and and just cook it in front of us and then kind of pull it out as it was cooking and and eating and it's just it's one of those things that it's it was such a japanese it was such a thing that connected to me to my japanese side that i just miss and love and it's, a, it's a universal human thing where we people come together and bond through food through eating yeah. together a shared experience of food. Um, on Wednesday, I went to uh, my one of my coworkers is his he and his wife were from Africa, and, and I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to be embarrassed, but I want to say she's from Ethiopia and he's from a neighboring country. But they have a restaurant. They own a restaurant then, and mm. so we went and had 
Ethiopian food and it was served family style, come in big platters, we eat with our fingers. And it was really just, you kind of kind of get a glimpse into their culture mm-hmm. through food. And it was wonderful. It was really, really tasty. And for those things, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have the heat. <laughs> he gave us some of the milder dishes, but he brought out a couple, a couple of the spicier things and said, okay, try this if you like it. And we were like, yep, that's really spicy. <laughs> <laughs> How'd your husband handle the spice? Was he, was he like bringing oh, it Oh, no, more? It, it was a work thing, so oh. he wasn't there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, whenever we go out, he just look at whatever is the spiciest on the, the menu and they kind of give him the look, you know, are you sure? And he always handle, handles it. I don't think he's ever gotten to the point where it was too much for him. Mm. He loves the spice. Food. I used to live in Boston, and it, there's this rush uh, place there, a chicken wing place, and I can't think of the name right now. But um, they have a competition; like they have all the hottest um, kinds of peppers on their chicken wings. And if you take the challenge is that you eat through your whole order without asking for a 50/50 creamsicle. If you ask <laughs> for the creamsicle, the entire restaurant is basically supposed to point you out and call you a bitch, which is like goofy. <laughs> um, but see, what made me mad about that is that I would want to eat the hottest, hottest chicken wings but at the same time i really love creamsicles <laughs> like I, I wouldn't be taking the creamsicle because i couldn't handle the spice i'm just like what can i have one <laughs> i'll have it first so it won't count i know yeah that actually would have been a good idea i could have it first yeah, he um, loves those types of conversations uh, they, they had one at uh buffalo wild wings or if you eat their hottest thing within like a minute then you get the privilege of buying the, the t-shirt that said that you <laughs> oh you get the privilege to buy the t-shirt well, nice. <laughs> that said that you that said that you uh, beat the challenge or whatever that's I'm so like cool. all that so you can buy a t-shirt right but he had fun that's cute he had fun all right let's talk a little bit about um sort of well I mean you tell me if you want to talk about this we we don't have to but if but if it's cool um so just in the few days since you and I have been interacting and you've been kind of it's probably been on your mind more than it had been up until then with our conversations and everything how do you how are you feeling now about whether or not you have access to claim your culture um i know i'm still a little bit torn i guess um i mean i guess i because i i don't have a traditional peruvian experience i don't know all of the traditional peruvian customs um, i i can claim my own family's hispanic experience sure and, and claim that and like right now i i work for uh international company and I'm often on the phone with people in in Latin America or they'll come up for for meetings or something and and hearing their accents feels good if that Mm. makes sense it just feels like home and uh you know especially when we do meet in person because they are they're they're huggy and it's it's nice that we can do that and you know we just know each other over the phone but when we see each other in person you give them a hug um so I guess I I claim that part of it and I guess I don't feel as indignant that I need to prove it I could just say this is what it is and and I've always I've always kind of always been like excited oh I'm I'm Hispanic too Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but I don't know. I, I still, I, I, I remember I, there was an, an incident in, in college where I decided I'm not going to be claiming that heritage. And, and it was, I was at, in, in a school that didn't have a lot of diversity and they were having a, some type of a support group get together where people were going to share their experiences at the school and whether or not the school was doing enough to help them and being diverse and whatnot. And all these people were sharing, um, you know, with roommates, conflicts or, or whatever. And I look around and I'm like, I am the white girl here. Mm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I don't have any experience like that because no one comes up to me and says, you know, whatever thing you happened in your childhood didn't happen. But, and I, 
I just I didn't have anything to contribute and I realized I'm I'm a fraud I, I that's how I felt I'm a fraud that's how you felt and I just didn't think it was and it was just disingenuous to, to, to tell people that uh, that I I could relate to that experience just because right my 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 mom came from Peru mm. especially since she wasn't um, very dark right um, well that um, that's an interesting point though there there's this comic uh, I'll have to maybe I'll look at it while we're while we're um, while we're talking it's a it's a he's half Mexican half white guy um, I think he grew up in Utah or something like that and he drew like a comic strip for the internet for um, that is circled around and it's about the difference between um, Latino and Hispanic or whatever and there's oh. a section of it where um, where he says he's it, it's a little drawing of him as a little kid and his grandmother and he says um, I'm I, I speak Spanish so I'm Mexican and his grandma corrects him and says you're not Mexican and and she go and he goes but I am and and she explains that um that because he wasn't born there like from her point of view he wasn't born there and so she he was so he's American yeah but he um but he feels like he's been in, he's been in, in Mexico quite a bit he speaks Spanish his mother's Mexican um he gravitate he you know he's he at least kind of gravitated in that way and then I think you go further on in the comic and he says something about like I've been to more places in Latin America than I've been in like cities in America and and so um, it is very much a part of his identity but it's sort of him kind of trying to come to terms with whether or not he gets to be Hispanic Mexican. or Latin um, and I guess Hispanic being kind of coming from a Spanish speaking country okay versus what he, what now people are saying as as Latin to be sort of the all encompassing people of Spanish heritage throughout spread out throughout the world um oh. i guess was sort of like how he was breaking it down it's kind of also why i asked the question for you because with you not being as exposed to um your proven culture throughout your entire life i wondered if it it was kind of like you said you know that's how my mother described it um that that was sort of my understanding of what we were and it's it's still accurate you know your mother comes from a spanish-speaking country and and therefore she is hispanic um it's it's part of her language it's part of her culture um but with you but you have a very like your your family blood at least has a very latin x experience in that you you have a mix of the the native american and the and the you know the spanish and the european and it's all kind of rolled together into into what became your grandmother and then your mom and then you and your children um so i'll, I'll look for it and i'll send it to you even if it's off off of the recording um but it is it's one of those things of kind of like trying to understand who you are in your hispanic upbringing and i'm wondering since my grandfather wasn't latin by blood but he was hispanic and in, in culture uh born in peru uh submersed in the Peruvian culture. Um, I didn't know he wasn't Hispanic or Latin. I didn't know that right. until I was uh, a teenager. And I'm like, I'm I'm only a quarter. I thought I was half. Yeah. Well, do <laughs> you wonder then, if he felt, if he feels like, felt like a fraud in that he had not the ethnic background connection, but the, but the born raised cultural connection? I have no idea. Um, you know, what is funny is my, I was talking to my aunt and, and of the siblings, she's the one that's kept up on the language the most. Mm -hmm. And she uses it, she uses it for work, but she says that whenever she's at work and people refer to her as the white woman who speaks Spanish really well. And <laughs> oh then my God, people suck. <laughs> and then when she'll tell them, actually Spanish is my first language. Um, and then they kind of say, well, you don't speak Spanish that well if it's your first language. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
I mean, she says she doesn't even consider herself very Hispanic because she doesn't look it. She doesn't have a mastery of the language. Um, and there's a you know a big part she recognizes a big part of the culture that she's never really been involved in. Mm. Um, and when she went to Peru, she's been to Peru a couple times as an adult, and she realized, oh wow, this is much different than again our family's culture of what sure. being Peru was. And um, don't don't look it. <laughs> you don't don't have that same shared experience. It's hard to feel like you're part of the group. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much the the thing about being mixed. <laughs> I swear, like, I, I just, it's the things that you're saying, you know, I keep being kind of awed by the fact that you have felt like you didn't have a mixed race story because all the things you're saying is the exact same <laughs> things that I hear with everybody that I talk to. You know, it's this, you have the same, you struggle in the same way. You just happen to have white skin. That's it. Like you're, And I guess I always attributed mixed to mixed color and not yeah. mixed culture. And I thought a lot of people do that. And there's even people, so I uh, I haven't aired this episode yet, but I've spoken to a person that is of Asian and white um, heritage, and they said they they had looked at my stuff on, on um, Twitter, and they were fascinated by it, and they only reached out to me because they didn't ever consider themselves mixed because they weren't black. And something I had said in Twitter or something had, was about, like, are you mixed with Asian and white? Are you mixed with, you know, Latin and black? Are you, you know, like, so it was like, I was listing off all these different things. And I said, you know, but it was in separate tweets. So it would be like, are you, you know, white and Asian and have a military family experience? If do, if, if you do, let's talk about it, you know, come to my show, you know, come on to my show. Are you, uh, you know, Afro Latino or Afro Latin or something like that? And you have a mixed experience, come and talk about it. So it wasn't until seeing my actual tweet about being mixed with Asian and white, did that person even think of themselves as mixed race i think and 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 maybe i don't know what that person's experience was but for me it almost like you gave me permission i've never felt permission to call myself mixed before. oh i wish you didn't feel that way though <laughs> you you don't you have permission by just your blood like i'm not i just host a podcast <laughs> i don't give you the wristband <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, I will say that but, I, I mean, I'm you, glad. You list it out. You list it out. You know, white and Asian is considered mixed. And I never, you know, white and Hispanic is considered mixed. And yeah. I just never, never thought of that. Because, you know, and growing up in California, there's so much more diversity what, in that, where right. I'm at. Um, and so I, it was kind of like on my mind a lot more, that heritage. And here, everybody's a lot more people. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say everybody. There's a lot of white people here. Right. Um, so it's not just, not something that, that comes up a lot. Where, you know, in California, you know, it's something we put We'll talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I never thought of, of these two, you know, uh, you know, different cultures mixing together as mm-hmm. a mix. It's just. Yeah. Well, I'm at least glad that we interacted enough so that you do feel like you can explore that side of you as a mixed race person that you can make that claim. I, I, I mean, I do feel bad that you feel like I was the one who opened that door for you. But, <laughs> um, but I'm glad. I mean, I think this is an important thing for us as as mixed people. And, you know, your children may never have the same sense of confusion about whether or not they get to be mixed or not as you. They may just feel, uh, I think I made the assumption, your husband's white. Right? He is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you said it. Okay, that's right. Um, but he, so- uh, he tans a lot better than I do, so at least my kids will be darker. <laughs> 
um, you know, so I don't know, like maybe your children will always feel white and they'll never, they'll never feel that. But with you kind of tapping into your culture through food and stuff like that. And, and I think you did say something to me on, um, on our earlier discussion about how, you know, your husband is encouraging of you being able to feel comfortable as a mixed person that, you know, may, you know, hopefully you'll, your kids will get that. But for you, I think what's important is that you are now armed with that comfort, you know, like you or maybe not comfort yet. You'll probably ownership. I just ownership. feel the more. Yeah. yeah. And be and be comfortable and fine to explore it. And, you know, it's weird when people talk about racial pride um, as a thing, because like white people aren't really granted racial pride in the way that um, that other groups are. But I think if we turn if we view it in terms of cultural pride, you know, not necessarily yeah. pride in the color of our skin, but like pride in being British or proud of right. being yeah, French, understanding the culture of whatever country. Because there's traditions that are in each of these things, you know, for Japanese, there's certain ways that you prepare tea, depending on what type of situation it is. There's certain ways that you prepare food. You know, there's there's deference to different generations and stuff that is like a very rich part of, of my Japanese culture that I that I love, but I don't have it in my day-to-day life because I'm not immersed around in, in Japanese culture here. But it's at least this touchstone that I've had to my, you know, my childhood and my past. Um, same with, with the black side of the family. There's a ton of stuff that is just like traditionally black that when you have those experience you're just grounded in your blackness and it feels really good and and you and you have a sense of pride about it and with you through food probably more than anything you'll mm-hmm. you have that too when you cook your green chicken you're connected to your mom you're connected to your grandmother and and they're they're there you know their presence is kind of with you when you're kind of going through that and you and to and to feel comfortable like you have that background is great yeah like it's, and it's with, a wonderful with part food and the, the smells it really brings back the memories they always say that yeah. olfactory brings I, back memories so I do I, I I cook that green chicken and I smell my grandma's house yeah I like that you brought up the smell too because smell is a big thing for for me also uh you don't think about it until you until you hit until it hits right yeah so yeah. for me something that really reminds me and actually it's a shared thing with my husband too because he grew up in England he's not British but he grew up in England through the military and Christmas time there's oranges with cloves stuck in them oh. and so like that I don't know why we do it but whatever it's out there and <laughs> and but that smell of like the clove and the orange um i didn't even think of it and then uh, my husband thought about it one day and so we started to do it and then it was like as soon as we put those cloves in the oranges i remembered my something you know i remembered through my childhood through that smell um but it was just something that kind of had erased if he hadn't if he hadn't brought up the idea that memory his own memory of it um for and also like uh it's kind of a weird uh chanel number five if i smell it <laughs> walking past it reminds me of my japanese grandmother because she really liked the high classness of it um and so like if i smell it i instantly get like this oh my grandma like you know it's this weird weird thing it's a it's not even cultural in that case but it's just a, a connection to the generation that makes you feel connected to your culture yeah i guess yeah, i love that i didn't even realize that it was a cilantro that I was missing so much until I had a roommate that was making salsa one day and I was like oh my gosh that smell and it just brought it all back I'm like I've got to learn how to make that chicken and that's what it reminded me she was making salsa but it was the cilantro that I gravitated towards and I think that was I was probably a senior or junior in college and that's when I really started like okay I need to start learning how to make some of these dishes because I miss it I really do and I I learned slowly um, some things I haven't quite mastered and some, some things it's hard to get the ingredients for 
Um, I remember at one time I was trying to find uh, a spicy paste called ají amarillo, which just means yellow pepper. But I, I called like a, I want to say it was like a Mexican shop. Maybe they'll have it. And they looked at me like I was an idiot. No, that's <laughs> it's like we're not, we don't all use the same Peruvian. spices. <laughs> I was like, it's a long shot. I'll call. I'm not going to drive out there. But I yeah. called and no, they didn't have that. Um, but, well, you know, my, my aunt, when she comes up, she um, from Sacramento, she'll, she'll come up occasionally and we'll have a bunch of. Peruvian food and she'll bring it all she knows oh, nice. where to where to get the stuff and she makes us well, hopefully these spicy too. Shish, shish kebabs and other things and nice. we all just have our little <laughs> loud latin family that's awesome parties well hopefully if we have any peruvian or mixed peruvian listeners they'll they'll be able to tweet at me and let me know how to get that yellow pepper stuff for, so that you can, <laughs> you can we can it. we can order it online i know how to get yeah i know how to get it, but okay. when it's last minute though you don't want to wait for amazon right but yeah, but if anybody wants to to share Peruvian recipes, I'll share some of mine. If you'll, oh, <laughs> they yes. also share some of theirs. <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle. <laughs>